welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, co-hosted by yours truly, Kate Richardson and Megan Pachecki. We're two registered dietitians here to make your life easier by debunking diet myths, sharing scientific information about nutrition, and keeping you motivated to reach your goals. We want to teach you everything we know by giving you real-life examples of how we've helped our combined thousands of clients transform their lives, lose weight, and get healthy without having to go on another cookie-cutter diet. On this podcast, we'll be giving you our best advice, strategies, and mindset shifts so you too can reach your goals using food and most importantly, enjoy the process. What if your stress levels are the reason you can't lose weight? Welcome back to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, you guys. We are picking right back up on our hormone health series, which started at episode 125. Uh, That's where we were talking about eating for your menstrual cycle. And then we did episode 126, talking about nutrition for thyroid. We took a little break there because we had two new dietitians join the nutrition awareness team, which is awesome. And we wanted to get them on the podcast sooner than later, teach them the ropes. So we did a few episodes about healthy snacking for teens, losing weight after heartbreak and other emotional stress which required us to take a little break from the hormone health series. But we're picking it right back up today and we're talking about a big one and that is cortisol, your stress hormone. I can't tell you how many times I have clients come in who are eating quote unquote perfect diets and their lifestyle on paper looks extremely healthy. Now here's what I mean. It's somebody who is eating quote unquote clean, eating, uh, they're not doing a lot of junk or they're purposefully not eating a lot of junk. They're trying really hard to eat high protein, eat lots of veggies, eat whole foods. And then they're exercising five days a week. They're doing high intensity workouts like Orange Theory or they're training for marathons. They're lifting heavy weights and they still can't get to their goals and they feel puzzled. They're like, why do I still have belly fat? Why am I still losing and gaining the same five pounds over and over again? They feel like they're doing everything. And when we get to the bottom of it, sometimes they're doing too much. And I can also see this manifest with a few other ways. One, they're so stressed out or overly restricting foods that they turn to sugar or alcohol or snack foods to help deal with stress. Stress eating is major. Or on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, they're so stressed out that they're not eating anything at all. They have no appetite because they're so engrossed with work that they're not paying attention to hunger cues. Or they're so anxious that they're getting these butterflies and this nauseous feeling in their stomach and they don't want anything to do with food. Either way, stress is getting in the way of them getting to their ultimate goals. Even if they're doing a lot of other things right, they still feel as though they're splitting their wheels. So in today's episode, we're chatting all about cortisol, the stress hormone. Uh, We're talking a little bit about the physiology of cortisol, and then we're going to move into how to modify your life and your diet to help you balance your hormones. But first, I would love to take the next minute or so to tell you guys about a personal project that I'm working on that I really want to put out there in the world to help people who maybe don't have access to a dietitian, who don't even really know uh, where to begin with the self-exploration of how to change their life. They just keep going from diet to diet and they don't even realize that there is a whole emotional and psychological and behavioral component to healthy living. 
There is an amazing psychotherapist named Esther Perel. If you haven't heard of her, I highly recommend you go look her up. And she's got a podcast. Uh, she's got two podcasts, one called Where Should We Begin? And the other one called How's Work. And all of her therapy is based around relationships. So not just romantic relationships, though the podcast Where Should We Begin is solely focused on romantic relationships, maybe a few platonic friendships, and how's work is based on relationships between people and business. And her podcast is really incredible because she records one-time sessions with real people. She keeps their identity anonymous, And she just works with them and you as a listener get to sit in on a real-time therapy session. I thought that was amazing. I love the podcast. It's very interesting. I always walk away with something to think about. And I was thinking, why shouldn't I do that with what I do? A lot of people don't realize that working with a dietitian is more than just eat this, not that. Uh, restrict this food and eat more of this food. It's way more than that. It's a conversation. It is self-exploration. It is becoming really in tune with oneself, one habits. All these really amazing insights come up in sessions. Like, I, I mean, that's why I love my job because we get to talk about way more than just macronutrients or the vitamin contents in certain foods. And I would love to create a podcast where I record one-time sessions with new clients. So this would include one initial session and maybe one or two follow-ups, depending on what that person needed. However, in our current practice, we require that all of our new clients sign a registration and consent form that includes a HIPAA contract. Nothing that we talk about in our current sessions are ever shared in actual real life, right? People are protected, their identities are protected, their personal information is protected. We may get on the podcast and share stories, but we would never ever use somebody's name or anything that would identify them or make them stick out. And I want to honor that and I don't want to tap into our current client pool and ask them to allow me to record our sessions. It just doesn't sit right with me, I don't think it's fair. So I'm coming on the podcast to offer listeners who want to work with a dietitian and who would not mind and who would sign to agree to allow me to record our session and use the audio for a podcast. This audio would be uh, minimally edited. I might chop some things out if it was too long or wordy just to make it easier for listeners. And I may pause the session to get on and make comments so that the listeners can understand where my mindset is coming from if it's not clear. This would, I would treat anybody who comes on the podcast like a real client. So you would still get the coaching and support from me. Uh, You would be able to reach out to me in between sessions. I wouldn't treat you any differently. The only thing would be our sessions would be recorded and the paperwork you sign would look different. To entice people to want to work with a dietitian and let her record it, I would be offering a discounted price. So if you are interested in this, First, I'd recommend going to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, the Nutrition Awareness Business page and just looking through what coaching looks like to get a good understanding of what you would get out of a session with me. And you would be working with me. I'd be the one recording it. 
You can look at our prices and get an understanding of our entire approach. And then I'd encourage you to shoot me an email at kate, K-A-I-T, at orlandodietitian.com. I'm going to link that in the show notes. Make sure you look at the spelling in the show notes. Uh, Kate spelled funny and dietitian is commonly misspelled. And just let me know that you're interested and we can talk back and forth. We can talk about pricing. We can talk about the process. But really, whatever your goals are, uh, you could let me know and we would talk about if that would fit for the podcast. So if you are open to this idea, if this excites you, if you're not afraid to get on a podcast and talk openly about your struggles with food and diet, I would still protect your identity. We would not use your name. We would not use any uh, personal information. Nobody would ever have to know you were on the podcast. It would not be video recorded. So I would not you know, ask to show your face. It would just be strictly audio. And I would package that up into a podcast uh, launching sometime in 2023. So again, reach out to me, Kate at Orlando Dietitian, if this is something that you want to try out. Okay, I'm going to start with a quick biology lesson behind cortisol. It's important for you to understand how the body works. It can be extremely validating to any symptoms you're experiencing. Of course, if this bores you, feel free to skip ahead. I'm going to encourage you to stick it out. First, let's understand cortisol and how it's released. It's released by your adrenals, which sit right above your sex organs. Cortisol, the stress hormone, governs your hunger cravings, your digestion, blood pressure, your sleep and wake patterns, physical activity, and your capacity to cope with stress. People who have really high cortisol might feel tired throughout the day, might feel really sluggish, but then as soon as they try to go to bed, they feel this weird jolt of energy and they can't sleep. Or maybe they experience odd cravings and appetite dysregulation throughout the day because their stress is all over the place. Your response to stress is mediated by a few factors. Glucocorticosteroids, aka cortisol, uh, genetics, your thyroid and ovarian functions, your lifestyle management, and of course, your diet. So stress can swing dramatically high and low, as does cortisol, the hormone. And when your adrenals cannot keep up with the highs and lows of stress, cortisol will actually become persistently low. That's not a good thing. We don't want low cortisol. We don't want low stress because that has negative effects. We also don't want high stress, high cortisol. We want a middle ground. We want it to think of cortisol like a pendulum. You want it right there in the middle. You want to balance. Because remember, a little bit of stress is a good thing. When you wake up in the morning, you naturally have higher cortisol levels. If you were to look at a chart of cortisol, you'd see it would spike in the morning and gradually decline throughout the day so that at nighttime, you're feeling relaxed. This is important because... Cortisol is what gets you out of bed in the morning. You need to get out of bed and go and do things so that you have energy to take on your day. And then as the sun sets, we want our cortisol to naturally lower. Therefore, we don't want to be doing a lot of high stress, stimulating activities close to bed if we're trying to get our cortisol to that nice middle ground. So cortisol's main job is to increase your blood glucose and then store the rest of that glucose into your liver as glycogen. Glycogen is stored energy, and blood glucose is another name for blood sugars. Our blood sugars dictate our energy. So I tell this to clients all the time who come in. Even if you don't have diabetes and you're not concerned about diabetes, you have to be mindful of your blood glucose levels because that dictates your energy stores. 
So here are some of the main physiological effects of cortisol. One, like I just mentioned, increasing your blood sugars. So in the morning, when your cortisol is high and cortisol is secreted, that glucose or that energy is released from your liver and your protein stores. This is important. Okay, if you're getting up in the morning, you need energy in your body to get your day going. Therefore, cortisol increase is associated with blood glucose increase. They are one and the same. If somebody presents to me with really high blood glucose and their diet's pretty good and we see that their stress levels are elevated throughout the day, then one of our approaches to not only manage their exercise and what they're eating, but is to manage their stress. Because if cortisol is secreted less often, then blood glucose is not spiked as often throughout the day and can help get those levels down. So why does this matter for weight loss? Well, when cortisol is high, blood glucose is high. If blood glucose is chronically high, we can develop insulin resistance. What is insulin resistance? Well, insulin, I want you to think it of it as the little key that opens your cells. So you've got cells all throughout your body and insulin opens them up and allows energy or blood glucose, glucose in your blood into that cell. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a vital function of life. To have energy to do anything, to go to work, to pick up your kids, to run a marathon, to do the dishes, you need energy available in your cells. So what happens when all of a sudden your cells become resistant to opening their doors to insulin? That's insulin resistance. And this happens when there's just so much glucose in your blood that your cells are like, they freak out. The way I visualize this is, I visualize Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> knocking on your door. The first time you open the door, if they come every once in a while, you're like, yeah, welcome. Come on, yeah, I'll listen to your spiel. But if every hour you have somebody knocking on your door or trying to sell you something, pretty soon you're going to lock that door shut. That's the same way that your cells react when there's just too much glucose in the blood. They become resistant. So then you have consistently high blood glucose and insulin resistance. And then... We have to, our cells that aren't recept, uh, receiving the glucose, we still have to do something with that glucose in our blood. It doesn't just go away. It doesn't just disappear. This is when the body starts to create fat cells to store this extra glucose. So if you're insulin resistant, you're more likely to be putting on fat or have trouble losing fat. Also, when you're insulin resistant, uh, these cells that are resistant to opening up are still starving for energy. They're still hungry. They, therefore, they send hunger signals to your brain. So if you feel hungry all the time, if you always have sugar cravings, that could be a sign of insulin resistance. You have to get a blood test to confirm. But you can see how this would lead to overeating and then, of course, being stored as more body fat. Here's the cycle in a nutshell. Your cells are insulin resistant because you're chronically stressed and there's too much glucose in your blood. These cells that are not receiving the glucose are hungry. 
so they send signals for you to keep eating and to eat quick energy sources like sugar. This glucose keeps piling up in your blood and with nowhere to go, they create fat stores. So our dietary approach to this is by doing some strict carbohydrate and sugar monitoring. This does not mean a keto diet. This does not mean not eating any carbs. It just means we change how and what you eat and increase your energy expenditure. So at least you're burning the glucose in your blood through exercise. The other physiological effects of cortisol is increasing your blood pressure. So somebody who has high blood pressure, that's associated with high stress. Cortisol also modulates inflammation. Cortisol can cause inflammation in the body. It can also cause gut-related conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, bloating, gas, and if you've heard of leaky gut, uh, that is associated with cortisol or an inflammatory response. Leaky gut is when your intestinal lining has gaps and therefore your body is absorbing, or so they say, absorbing molecules and particles that are not meant to be absorbed. That's a different topic for today that, that we're not going to cover today. So if somebody has a high cortisol, a high cortisol in their body, we would assume that they are experiencing inflammation. Therefore, we would have them eat an anti-inflammatory diet, which goes hand in hand with decreasing blood sugars and blood pressure. So this would mean eating a lot of anti-inflammatory foods. This comes from live active cultures like yogurt and kefir and kombucha and fermented veggies. We would have them eat a high fiber diet, which is very helpful for decreasing blood sugars. Fiber is found in whole plant foods, including nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruits, avocados, oats, whole grains. Lower sugar intake, lower artificial intake. We would increase their omega-3 fatty acids either with a fish oil supplement and or from wild caught fish, chia seed, flaxseed. Still, with all of these different dietary approaches to help combat the inflammation caused by chronically high cortisol, we still need to get to the root issue, which is decreasing stress and anxiety. So just to recap, we understand that cortisol increases our blood glucose, which can lead to insulin resistance over time, which leads to stubborn weight gain. It can increase our blood pressure, which we know is the silent killer and leads to heart disease. We also know that it can increase our inflammatory response. That inflammatory response uh, manifests into digestive issues. I'll tell you, I see so many people present with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. They have bloating, they have difficulty digesting food, and they think the cure is to restrict more foods or to go on diets or to take all these supplements. But really, IBS, its root cause is stress and high cortisol. So when they start stressing them out themselves out about what to eat, what not to eat, what to restrict, then they inadvertently increase their cortisol, which then causes more IBS symptoms. I can't tell you how many clients I've had come in with IBS and they eat perfect, clean, quote unquote, clean diets and their IBS symptoms are only getting worse. We have to help them calm their nervous system and relax around food before they can see any changes in their IBS. In fact, IBS is now listed in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Psychiatric Diseases. So it's a mental condition, not so much a diet-related condition. But let's talk about why cortisol often leads to weight gain, why these people will have 
high blood pressure and they'll be having IBS and they're still gaining weight even if they're following these restrictive eating patterns. Well, there's a few different mechanisms here. One is that the repeated uh, elevation of cortisol leads to weight gain because cortisol favors abdominal fat deposition. Many times when people have high cortisol, their limbs, their uh, upper arms, their thighs will be healthy, they'll be lean. Uh, But because cortisol tends to favor that abdominal region, they'll have stubborn belly fat. And this is because cortisol can mobilize triglycerides from storage and relocate them to these visceral fat cells. And those are the cells around our organs that are located deep, deep, deep within the abdomen below our muscle. So the fat cells that are above our muscle, we call those subcutaneous. This is visceral fat cells and it's dangerous. It's linked to higher rates of heart disease and metabolic disease. Cortisol also aids in the fat cells development into mature fat cells due to enzyme control. If anyone's interested, this enzyme is 11-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. (laughs) No pop quiz over that. But this enzyme converts cortisone into cortisol specifically in fat tissues. So more of these enzymes in our visceral fat cells may mean greater amounts of stress or cortisol produced at the tissue level, which adds insult to injury, right? Because the adrenals, remember from the beginning, are already pumping out cortisol. So you're getting cortisol released from the adrenals. You're getting cortisol produced at your fat tissue. And here's the kicker. This visceral fat tissue, these fat cells that are secreting more cortisol have more receptors to cortisol, meaning they will accept more cortisol than that subcutaneous fat on your arms or legs or above the muscle. Yikes. So this is adding a lot of layers to where people already are struggling with belly fat. The cortisol is being produced in multiple locations and the fat cells on your abdomen are like, gimme, gimme. They want to store the cortisol there. Yikes, okay. Now here's another kicker. I know, it's only getting worse, guys. The mental stress you experience actually leads to a decrease in the release of a hormone called leptin. What does leptin do? It tells you, it tells your brain to stop eating. It tells you you're satisfied. If you have a decrease in the release of leptin, it's going to take you longer to register that you are full. It will take you longer to stop eating and therefore lead to overeating. And mental stress can lead to an increase of the hunger hormone called ghrelin, which increases your appetite and your food intake. So not only are you hungrier, you are less receptive to when you are full. Whoa. Okay, so this phenomenon contributes to the current epidemic of obesity. We're all stressed, right? These stress genes, which have been selected under pressure in ancient environments, have not adapted to our current environment where food is plentiful. Way back when, when you were stressed, you probably needed more energy. Now we don't. (laughs) We have tons of energy in the form of convenient food all over. Now let's talk about another negative effect of high cortisol. Cortisol's effect on our appetite 
and increases our cravings for high calorie foods. I call these hyperpalatable foods. They are foods that combine fat, sugar, and salt and have a pleasant mouth feel. Studies have demonstrated a direct association between cortisol levels and high calorie intake, specifically in populations of women, um, where I got this study from today's Dietitian Magazine. Cortisol may also directly influence your appetite um, and cravings by binding to the hypothalamus receptors in your brain. So cortisol indirectly influences your appetite by modulating other hormones and the stress responsive factors known to stimulate appetite. So whoa, what did I just say here? In a nutshell, high stress means you're gonna store fat in your belly. And once you get this process going, it's a lot harder to interrupt because stress is gonna be released from multiple sources and the cells around your organs are more receptive to stress. It increases your cravings increases your appetite, and decreases your ability to stop eating. So what do you do? I know that a lot of this podcast was a bit scary, and I'm not going to lie, part of me was like, do I share all this information? But the more I work in private practice, and the more I see the negative influence of stress on people's lives, my clients and people in my personal life, there's no way I'm not going to talk about it. I mean, I wish that food was the cure-all for everything, and diet definitely plays a role in stress management, but it is not the only thing. You have to understand that if you continue to live a high-stress life, you are going to suffer consequences. So here's what I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to be very honest. A lot of this stuff requires self, how do I say this? It requires you to do something about it. This isn't as easy as stop eating this and start eating this and stop doing that and start doing this. Stress is so ingrained in our life and our relationships and sometimes you can't totally control your environment and your circumstance. Therefore, I encourage you if you have the means, if you have the access to work with a therapist, I cannot tell you how crucial it is to work with a mental health professional to manage your stress if it is taking a negative effect on your health. Yeah, we can talk about the diet, we can talk about the nutrition and the exercise, and I'm going to share with you some concrete tips. But if you don't feel like you have any power in your life right now, your job is stressing you out, your personal circumstances are making you lose sleep, your relationships are causing you anxiety, your finances, man, I can't I can't stress enough how important it is to get help. It is okay to get help. You have to or it's going to take a toll. But here's what to do in the meantime. One, eat an anti-inflammatory diet the best you can. This means some of the things that I mentioned before. Increasing fiber. So start increasing fiber from plant-based foods, um, whole real foods, and omega-3s. Take a turmeric supplement, a fish oil supplement. Those things can help lower inflammation. And begin replacing some of your refined sugar with more whole real foods, more natural sugar. This includes fruit. Yeah, instead of eating ice cream every night, blend up some frozen banana and eat it as ice cream instead. I know it's different, but you have no reason to be afraid of the sugar and fruit. It does not cause an inflammatory response the same way. You have full permission from me, your virtual dietitian here, to eat fruit, especially if that means eating less sugar. 
If you are consuming tons of caffeine, especially on an empty stomach, I need you to cut that out. Maybe not completely, wean off. Start with 50 to 75% less and stop drinking coffee on an empty stomach for the love of God. If you are drinking iced coffee, hot coffee, and skipping breakfast, you are adding fuel to the fire. That is going to increase your cholesterol. I'm sorry, not your cholesterol, your cortisol, and cause a stress response in the body. It will, uh, in most cases, suppress your appetite, but that hunger comes back in vengeance later. And typically when we feel starving after not eating because our appetite's been suppressed by caffeine, we're going to turn to more of those foods that have an inflammatory response fast food, sugar, refined carbs, etc. So cut back on coffee if you can, but at the very least, stop drinking it on an empty stomach. This includes soda and other caffeinated beverages. From an exercise perspective, stop putting so much stress on your physical body. Yes, exercise stress can be helpful, but not if you're already dealing with chronic levels of stress. Short bursts of stress, positive, but if you are having chronically elevated cortisol levels, and then you go into a 60-minute workout class where you're doing high-intensity training day after day after day, you are doing more damage than good. This is especially true in women, and it is a tough pill to swallow, but I have to tell so many women to stop going to Orange Theory and stop going to these high-intensity boot camps five days a week. Cut it down to one or two if you must, and then switch to something low-impact. Walking, Pilates, yoga, strength training, but with higher rep and lower weight than you are currently doing. This does mean a little bit of an ego check, and you're not going to walk out of these workouts sweaty and with your heart pumping. You need to start seeing that as a positive thing. You're moving your body, you're doing exercise, and you are not adding stress. In fact, you are doing exercise, especially if it's yoga or something that involves a lot of deep breathing and mind-body connection. You could actually be lowering stress. You could be doing things that are improving your health. So I know it's a bit of a reality check. I know it sucks if you're used to that kick butt feeling of going in the gym and throwing around heavy weights. I get it. I've been there. It feels so good when you walk out of the gym. You have an endorphin high. But is it if you're not seeing results, if you've been doing these high intensity workouts for a year and nothing's changing, if it's only getting worse, You got to stop. I know it's hard, but after a week, you're not going to miss it. I promise. Switch to something else more low impact. I can't recommend yoga or meditation practice or breath work enough. I love breath work. Go on YouTube, type in guided breath work. You'll see what I mean. If you can practice this a few times a week, or if you can meditate with a specific emphasis on breathing in your nose and out your nose or mouth, You are switching your nervous system from this high-stress fight-or-flight state into a rest and, you guessed it, digest state. When you tell your body it is okay to be safe, it is okay to relax, you're telling your body it's okay to send blood to your gut and break down food and digest food and absorb and utilize nutrients. If you have IBS, if you're struggling with digestive issues, I can't recommend enough taking five deep, long, breathy breaths before every single meal. It is like telling your body it's time to switch off from work and stress to rest and digest. 
Practice with me right now. I think it's so helpful. Everyone should be taking more deep breaths. Take a deep breath in through your nose. And through your mouth. One more time. In through your nose. And exhale. Really let go on that exhale. And when you're inhaling, breathe into your diaphragm, in through your belly. Hold it at the top. And release. And even doing that right now, I can feel my body switching. I, I was getting kind of worked up there. I feel like I was... I was feeling very passionate about this topic, probably increasing my blood pressure, increasing my cortisol levels. So I feel a visceral difference right now. I feel much more relaxed. That's the power of your breath. So if you have time in the morning, or let me rephrase that, make time in the morning to take deep breaths, to practice five to 30 minutes of breath work, but at the very least, take some deep breaths before you eat. It is going to dramatically help increase your IBS symptoms. Speaking of stress while you eat, prioritize eating in a peaceful, quiet, low-stress environment. Yeah, if you work and you work at your computer or if you're on the go, I get it. This isn't realistic. However, if you can create boundaries at work that give you a lunch break, that give you time to eat in peace... You're going to be doing your body and your stress levels a major favor. I suggest going outside if you have the ability and the weather is okay, or at least eating at a table or a space that is away from your computer. Something in an environment that feels nice. Maybe this means eating with colleagues if you work from home, eating with your family at your kitchen table, eating outside. Even if you can't eat in a different environment, can you schedule five minutes to just take a little walk or a stroll or get outside after a meal or even before that meal. Whenever you can, just taking breaks from work, especially around meal times, can help with any of that bloating or digestive issues, as well as nutrient utilization. You're sending a message to your body that it's safe to eat. The best example I ever heard of this was if your body's in flight or flight mode, It's kind of like you just got into a car accident. You got slammed, you're okay, but your adrenaline is high, you're feeling anxious, you are stressed. If you just got in a car accident, you're not going to be thinking about eating. (laughs) You're not going to be waiting on the side of the road while the police officer comes and thinking, man, I wish I had a snack. (laughs) Same thing goes with being stressed at work or being stressed about your relationships. You're not going to be thinking about food. Your body's not going to be receptive to eating. And if you are just shoving things in your mouth because you've got five minutes or you're in between calls or you're on the road between different site visits, it's not good. It's not good. So if you can create boundaries, I can't encourage that enough. It's kind of a non-negotiable. I understand that it's not always the case and you can't always be routine and consistent with when you eat, but doing your best at least at the meals you do have control in, like at home for dinner or breakfast, you're gonna you're gonna feel an improvement. Get sleep. Do your best to prioritize sleep. I hear a lot from people who work 10-hour days that the only time they have to relax and be themselves is right before bed, and they want to take advantage of that. So they're up until midnight and getting up at six. 
If you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, you are really causing your body some stress. Once in a while it happens, but you have to prioritizing doing less and resting more. It's life or death, people. I, I'm not going to lie. There's really no other way to say it. You can't cookie cut stress. Uh, you're not cookie cut. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say here. You, you, you can't put frills on stress. If you don't get a hold of your stress, if you don't change your life, it could have long-term consequences. Whether your concern is something aesthetic, like reducing belly fat, or if it's more medical, like decreasing your blood pressure and reducing uh, inflammatory responses that are causing you digestive issues. It's a non-negotiable. So I know this episode was intense. And if you need help, if you want to talk to someone about how to change your diet to match your current stress levels... I encourage you to go on our website, nutritionawareness.com, and book an appointment with one of our dietitians. We'll help you manage your current lifestyle to better suit your health goals and needs. So if you're a busy professional, if you run a business, if you're a mom and you work, or you just live a hectic life and you've got a lot of things going on and you need someone to help you get a blueprint on how and when and where to eat, and of course, what to eat, we're your girls. So go to nutritionawareness.com. You can book an appointment online. But if you have questions, reach out to us via Instagram. We have a company Instagram, nutrition.awareness. But we also have personal Instagrams for all of our dietitians. So that was a new switch we made. You can reach out to me directly with questions about this podcast episode. My Instagram handle is Kate, K-A-I-T, Richardson, R-D. So it's Kate Richardson, R-D, no spaces or nothing. Send me a message and I'd be happy to answer any questions. I hope this podcast was helpful. Stay tuned for future episodes related to hormones. Um, We're going to definitely talk about hypothalamic amenorrhea, PCOS in the future. Um, And if you have any other specific topics you would like us to cover, uh, feel free to shoot me a message as well. All right, guys, have a great rest of your day and keep it stress-free. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. And if you did find it helpful and want to share it with the whole world, screenshot this episode and tag us on Instagram in your stories at nutrition.awareness so we can connect with you. To get notified about the next episode of Nutrition Awareness, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And to create your own personalized nutrition plan with us, be sure to schedule your virtual or in-person consultation on our website www.orlandodietitian.com. Now get out there, fuel up, and live your healthiest life. We'll see you on the next episode.